Hey, Shanae here. I wanted to just jump on before I play you the recording of this next episode and clarify a few things. In this episode, you hear me use the word arcteric as another word for menopause, but the real word is climacteric. And yes, it is another word in the dictionary for menopause. Also, Bhavani uses the word vernix when she's talking about the fine hairs on a baby's body when the baby is born. However, vernix means fragrant resin. It's usually the residue when the baby is born in the afterbirth and the fine hairs on a baby's body. I could not find a specific name for that and it's a common occurrence when a baby is born. Also, Bhavani mentions the hashtag lineage is leverage. I, Sinead, did not come up with this hashtag. It is in honor of one of my teachers, Darren Rhodes, who started using it. I'm not sure if he is the inventor of this hashtag, but I did not catch it in the interview soon enough to correct Bhavani. So here I am being very forthright that it, that is not my hashtag. That is something that I started using in honor of my teacher, Darren Rhodes, and in honor of all my teachers. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Sinead Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Welcome back to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. I'm Sinead Trudeau here with Bhavani Maki for another conversation from the heart. You know what to do. If you like what you hear, please share this recording and tell a friend. Thank you so much for landing here and sharing your attention with us today on the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. Bhavani, we're back. <laughs> Great to be here with you. Great to be with you. I'm so, I, you know, I just want to really honor 
um, <clears throat> your, your ability to craft questions because that's the, um, that's the yatra, right? That's the journey to the nexus point. And it's all about the question. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited. Right. Well, thank you. I, I do um, agonize. I mean, <laughs> spend a lot of time. <laughs> agonize is better than being neurotic. I think that's a great refra reframing, right? It's you know? true. It's totally true. <laughs> thank you. So I've been thinking about something that you say um, in your trainings, or I've heard you say in past trainings, where you um, talk to your new and upcoming yoga teachers about not correcting a child in the asanas until the age of about 12. And I'd love to have you speak more on this. Certainly. And I'll tell you, you know, um, most of it is because my teacher told me so. And, um, you know, when I asked further about it, it was because um, basically, you know, it's like what, what we saw in the Yoga Sutra mentorship on the asana. If you take the joy out of asana, it's not really asana. Okay. Um, so letting kids play and they spontaneously will do yoga. They will spontaneously start to chant sutras or shlokas and they have their own you know baby talk and whatnot and just let them be in their place of spontaneity um and praise them for that you know what happens is a lot of times um and and like as parents it's our job to correct children and that's that's a hard thing because you're trying to do it without um squelching their fire or their spirit and who knows you know maybe they're going to innovate something in the future so like really praising them for that and enjoying that process so we want to just allow them to be in their spontaneity because they're um you know just inhabiting their body but around 12 or and around 12 is when the animal of their body starts changing. You know, there's these hormonal impulses and there's things just percolating and the emotions get really intense. And they have, um, you know, this, this very animalistic impulse. I see it with my son, you know, he starts getting really rough and I have to say, wait, I'm your mom. Like go beat up on your friends. I'm your mom <laughs> and I'm an older mom. You have to be gentle with me, right? And it's just because he has like this bargaining energy. He's not 12 yet though. <laughs> and um, so around 12 is like that brahmacharya phase. And so when we look at the ashramas or the um, refuges of life, there's different phases of life. In that early phase is where they're really learning to work with brahman which is, you know, Brahman is this energy, this creative energy and impulse. And so, of course, you know, as a parent, you're just like, oh, my God, I don't want them to, like, knock someone up or get an STD or whatever, you know. <laughs> and it's a good time for them to really learn how to channel that energy. So then with the, with the alignment principles and the sequencing, um, we're really – working alchemically with their system to help them to distribute prana 
evenly through their body so that they're not just like this flaming hot root and you know second chakra which wants to go like put them out put themselves out there and make more of themselves in the world right so it's like not getting not getting you know knocked up or knocking somebody else up or um even you know being able to express that energy in a way where they're not going to join up with a pack and start playing with fire and set things on fire or um you know also there's a real impulse within us in which we want to alter our consciousness so that's when kids might start you know experimenting with substances without discrimination so it's a really appropriate time for them to develop their relationship with this powerful potent energy that's within them and as you and i know <laughs> that the the yogi you know the yogi shaman is really working with their endocrine system with intention because this is where they're able to um, induce transpersonal states of consciousness and develop their capacity for insight and transmission so this is where they're able to like you know certainly they're learning how to be a a upstanding member in society learning yama and niyama and all of those things you know be how how we work how we work in community um how we can also take care of ourselves and our independence right but then really starting to work with the endocrine system in a way that balances us so that we're not then kicking out the jams in the world. So that's where I was taught, like, and, and this came from Baba Haridas, it came from uh, Patabi Joyce. It's like, leave them alone, don't adjust them also because they're really soft, you know? So, I mean, you could put a, a, a and really even some people are this way, we call them bendy wendies <laughs> and they're fun because you can put them in all these poses but they don't have the nervous system to handle it. They don't have the stability and it can really just start to fragment a person. And with littles, it's like let, their joints are still forming. There's things that are still cartilaginous, just letting them play and experiment. And, um, you know, this is something that I, um, you know, this is just from my perspective, what I observed in india and perhaps you observed it too and then i i've also i've observed it in like more eastern cultures where there's a lot of permissiveness with little children and perhaps it's because there's such an embedded sense of duty and of dharma within those cultures and and they're they're Uh, restrictive isn't really the right word, maybe prescribed ways of being and doing. And there's a, a strong sense of propriety within the culture that you just want them to just to enjoy the freedom before the burden of responsibility. So that's my understanding. And of course, you know, that's because my teachers told me so. But then it felt right. 
it felt right within me. And that's the ultimate question that we have to ask, you know. Um, that's where it, it's helpful to have the support of our seniors, you know, our senior senior students slash teachers who can give us this advice because there's been lots of trial and error before. And then we sit with it and see, does it feel right for us? Um, yeah, so that's that's where that comes from. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it feels right for me too. <laughs> and thank you for that um, more of an explanation. And I think of, you know, seeing the little kids doing dance at such an, a young age. And, you know, part of me is in awe of their ability, but also it's that it's that they're so malleable, like so young, and it's it no longer becomes play. And um, it's a little heartbreaking to see and to really you know, it sucked the joy out of it too soon is too soon. <laughs> no, I had this, I used to teach um, at this Waldorf school and it's not because I'm a Waldorf teacher or anything, but just because there was a lack of people, resources. So I was invited in and there was this young, there was this little boy and he moved in the most incredible way. And he would just constantly dance and it was no form, no style. It was so authentic. And it just got my cells vibrating and I felt his joy. And then he actually went on. He was taken up by Alvin Ailey's dance company, which was like, you know, talk about like the pinnacle of having that opportunity. And um, then he returned kind of in his mid twenties and his spirit was broken and his body was broken. And I just saw him a couple of days ago and he's like, I'm in so much pain. And I said, do you ever dance anymore? And he said, no, I can't dance anymore. It's, you know, it, it, I have no desire to dance anymore. And it just was like, it's kind of a heartbreak, you know? Yeah. I'm just letting them be who they are. You know, how do we, it's such a hard thing, right? To allow somebody to unfold and to innovate and also to um, direct them. That's one of those tensions that we experience. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You don't want to break their spirits or break their hearts or, you know, there's already so much narrative, um, like, a tacit narrative that we're not enough or that we need to become something. Yeah. And especially considering yoga as a, as a shamanic path, you know, really in that vein of like, there's these rites of passage to be able to then take this up and in a way that we know what we're doing to some degree. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and, you know, something else is also to appreciate where, there are different phases of life, you know, so that's where like, you know, the Shtanga Vinyasa form Krishnamacharya was teaching young boys. And so like, what a great way I know for myself, like when I really got turned on to that practice, how old was I? I think I was like 24. And I had so much energy, I was bouncing off the walls. And it was the one thing that settled me. 
and it's really interesting also, um, you know, to really appreciate. And I was listening to a talk from uh, Marion Woodman, um, transpersonal Jungian psychologist, and she was talking about the change of life for women and how um, they experience perimenopause much more intensely because they haven't made peace with the fact that they're not going to be in their maidenhood forever. So it becomes very painful. And this is where, um, you know, you can just see like, like, like for me, I had to let go of that practice to get pregnant because I could just see I was much too sinewy. I was too muscly. I couldn't be like twisting my uterus. And I had, you know, I had to let go and create space. Um, so, and it was painful because I really loved it. And I loved being able to do all those things. And, um, but like, if we just keep on hanging on to that kind of a practice and not appreciate the aging process. I was talking to one of my friends who's like pushing 80 and she has a, a tenant and it's this woman who's like in her seventies and she's tight and she looks great, you know, in a bikini. And I was like, wow, look at her. And she said, Bhavani, you have no idea. It's a full-time job for her to maintain that form. Like it's all she does. So eventually, you know, it's like we, we have to appreciate those shifts and let things go. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm pro ageism in that way. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, talk about letting go. I have decided finally I am no longer wearing a Buston halter, which if you don't know what that is, that's, I love that word. It's German. It's the halter for your Bustons. <laughs> I'm like, who am I kidding? And, you know, I just want to be able to breathe. So even that sense of like squeezing yourself into too tight clothing and it's, it's another form of like corseting yourself. Eventually, we're going to let that go and, um, you know, just be okay with it. So there's a time. Timing is everything, a time and a place. And that kind of a practice is appropriate for somebody who has so much energy, doesn't know how to channel it. And then there's going to be a shift. That's wonderful. Thank you. Timing is everything. <laughs> Amen. And that's a great segue into my next question is about um, women who are pregnant and still doing yoga. So I've also been in trainings with you and in attendance are other women in all stages of their pregnancy. And I've observed that your instruction for them is often somewhat different for than for the rest of the class, speaking about timing and in the next phase, can you speak more on working with pregnant women in their all trimesters of their pregnancy? Yeah, this is a fascinating question because if you look, um, you know, there's some schools of thought that say like a pregnant woman shouldn't even do Adho Mukha Svanasana, downward dog, because there's like a point zero. I'm, I'm making up this metric. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it happening, but apparently it could be a possibility where somehow air seeps into the uterus and it's like, oh, wow, okay, you know, that's very interesting. I, um, 
I still teach it to pregnant women. However, what I'll have them do as, um, you know, like forward bends tend to be contraindicated for pregnancy because you don't want anything that's going to compress the femoral arteries. The, the objective is to allow as much circulation to the fetus and to the uterus. So what you would have a person do is um, like, let's say you're doing Uttanasana is gradually the feet go wider apart you turn the toes in and what this does is it helps to support the inner legs and the banda which keeps um you know because because everything apana starts kicking in when um you know during pregnancy or at least um you know certainly during like for childbirth that's when apana is that downward movement as well as lactation you're in that place and um, so it helps to create a supportive environment and also what we're looking to do is um the obliques tend to get really short as the front body spreads and for those of you who are on video i have this picture <laughs> oh wow i mean it's, look how humongous i am right Savani is humongous it's her huge pregnant belly <laughs> and you huge. can see how narrow my waist is in the back yeah. you know so yeah. what we want to do is really work on the sideline which i believe is um true for all of us but particularly during pregnancy so you would have them spread their feet apart and then put their hands on bricks or on a surface and it's about getting length from the navel to the sternum this area tends to really shorten and you know when you're pregnant it's like it actually becomes a really functional it's like a great place to put a laundry basket <laughs> or a grocery bag and then the nursing process as well and all the cradling of the baby um, we tend to get really short in the chest so you would have the hands on the bricks. Let's say you're doing Parshvottanasana, okay? Um, and it's the sense of the yekam position where you inhale up and you're creating that length in the front of the spine. So you wouldn't forward bend. You certainly wouldn't twist. Um, you don't wanna do any wringing out of the uterus. You could do a twist not where um, you're compressing the front of your body, but if you recall like what we call the prego twist, where you lay down on your sideline on one hip, and then you lengthen through your waist and you can put your chest on the bolster. So it's never compressive. Now I do have this Iyengar book on pregnancy. Um, and you would not believe the things they're having these people do, you know? I mean, it's really kind of astounding. But this is, of course, this is for somebody who already has, um, you know, a very cultivated practice. So they also say, like, don't teach inversions to someone who's pregnant. However, if someone already had an inversion practice, it can feel great because there's so much fluid that collects in the lower extreme extremities. Uh, many women, you know, they actually have edema in their legs. And so just allowing the, um, let me think, the venous system 
to um, open with gravity and to get that circulation of fluids in the body. And I remember Rama saying, and she um, had five babies, that her last baby, um, she was doing all of these back bends. So back bends can be iffy because the round ligament that supports the uterus around the fourth or fifth month, um, the woman starts producing more relaxin, which makes the ligaments soft. And, um, you know, so we have to be careful about those ligaments and back bends can overstretch that round ligament in the uterus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think supported back bends can be okay, but Rama shared that she was doing all of these back bends during her pregnancy and she kept creating more and more space for the baby and she was pregnant for 11 months. Wow. And then finally she was like, okay, I better stop because this baby has just got so much space <laughs> to grow, you know? Um, you know, and then the baby comes out with all, I think it's Vernex. It's like comes out like furry when they're really, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they've been cooking a long time. <laughs> so I think it's a, a case by case kind of scenario. And um, the big challenge, I think, for some women who have a really rigorous practice is being able to let some of that go you are going to be a different animal you're um you know i remember being pregnant and you know dealing with the nausea and all of that and talking to my ob and she said well it's basically it's like your body views it as a parasite in your body because it's feeding off of your system so it's kind of like struggling you know to accommodate and to adapt and then she added and they will be a parasite for the next 18 years. <laughs> so you really have to adapt. And um, I think it's best to um, err on the cautious side. Another thing that I want to mention is if there's any spotting, and there can be spotting. I mean, during that implantation period. And I remember, I remember when Nico implanted in my womb, I felt it. Wow. And it literally felt like, you know, when you have like a really crispy apple and you take that first bite and it goes, and I felt that in my uterine wall. Like I felt him take a bite into me and just like, hang on. And, um, you know, sometimes there can be spotting during those phases. If there's spotting, particularly during the tri first trimester, no supta virasana. You just, it's such a tentative time. And if you want to keep this pregnancy, then, you know, you just need to support it and start getting out of your own agenda. And, um, you know, even like, um, this was some good advice from, you know, from a veteran mother, which was like, I was teaching through my pregnancy and huge, you know, and then I was like, well, I'm going to take two weeks off before the due date. And she was like, they're not born on the due date. Like they, that baby could be born tomorrow. You have no idea. And you start to realize that like, 
It's all about timing and it's not even your timing anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's really like, um, you have to really let go of how, you know, especially as yogis, where we like to have a certain sense of ritual and timing and order, um, you're going to be letting go of all of that and even sleep and certain foods, you know, um, it's just a big shift, but it's so beautiful because I just realized what a total narcissist I was up until that point. It was like, what do I feel? What do I need? What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? And then it really isn't about that. And that's why it's such a high yoga and you do it out of love. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I, when I look back and this isn't what you asked, but I'm sharing, um, I feel so, so blessed that I was able to do everything I wanted to do like three times. And basically, you know, I just remember being in Paris and teaching in Paris and writing my book in a cafe and, you know, and like I'd been doing it for years and I was just like, you know what, I feel like I've maximized this. Like I've kind of like maximized my individualistic experience. And now I'm really ready to rotate my life to like, for me personally, I just felt like I wouldn't have the experience, the, the, the experience of love in its full expression. This is personal to me until I had that baby. And, um, you know, thinking back, it's like, if I had gotten pregnant really young, I, I personally feel like I would have maybe had a lot of resentment for that kid because I would have felt unrealized in the things that I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, it really isn't about you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Even though, yeah. as I tell, like the, the father to be, I'm like, it's all about the mom. Like the mom's job is to take care of the baby and the dad's job is to take care of the mom. Mm. Yeah. 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 So the next rite of passage, <laughs> the Arcteric, <laughs> the menopausal years, how, how does um, one's practice change then? Really good question. Um, you know, there's, there's different research on that. Um, they say uh, it's actually really good to do things that are more rigorous and get some like calisthenics in. And that's where, you know, Surya Namaskara, they, it, it's described as being a panacea. And I know when I um, discovered it, it was really helpful for me because there is um, mental depression in my genetics and I could see that. And it was one thing that was able to kind of get me out of the funk and get prana circulating. Um, it's also, you know, it's really a bhakti practice. It's a devotional practice, like being a mother where you rotate from 
egocentricity and you're rotating towards the sun, you're ro rotating towards something bigger. Um, in the, tra the traditional Surya Namaskara, there's even mantras and you say the different names for Surya, Om Mitraya Namaha, the one who is friendly to all, Om Kagayam Namaha, the one who energizes movement, the one who moves across the sky, the passage of time, you know, and you're calling on all of these aspects of Surya. And it's said to be like reestablishing your umbilicus wow. back to source. It's a devotional practice. So, um, you know, that I think is actually really helpful. You don't always feel like it, um, you know, at, People are different and some people tend to get really thin, it seems like during menopause and um, aging is a process of you go more into a vata phase. So you have less viscosity, less elasticity in your system. Um, then there's, um, what was I going to say here? Um, so and then some people get bigger and they have like all of this fluid in their body. And I remember I put on like 20 pounds and I was just like, oh my God. And I couldn't like get it off of me. And some of my big sisters, you know, they said, oh, you're just going to be fat for two years. Like just <laughs> accept it. But, you know, in that process, I also, there were a lot of dietary changes that had to occur for me. I had to, I couldn't drink caffeine anymore. It was like the sleeping, um, sleep disturbance. Um, there was a lot of shifts in my system. So I did have to make dietary changes and then I've been able to gradually add things back in, but not everything. And then inversions are really, really beneficial because of the way they affect the master glands. And a supported shoulder stand, um, you know, supported, supported backbends and things like that. Um, but really, you know, as we come into that ashrama of life, it's about pranayama. And I don't just pranayama, you know, we've been studying these sutras on pranayama. Um, it's not just about breath control but about really feeling how we work with our personal energy field. And hopefully at this point, you know, maybe, you know, you have decades of practice. So you have enough understanding of um, Svadharma of yourself and what supports you and you can work alchemically with it. But there's definitely going to be a shift in practice. And, <coughs> you know, one of the, like pranayama, and we do that is through chanting the shastras and the shlokas. And this is where we can get advice. And it's also really reaffirming because Patanjali speaks about um, wisdom. Yeah, we've all been seated with wisdom, but it's ungrounded, it's unactualized, it's untested. And so the wisdom that he speaks about is seasoned wisdom so it's like okay you know i can see where 
oh yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm losing my perky little titties and my perky little butt and my tight little, you know, arms and whatnot and, and all the pretty surface things of yoga or of just youth. But I've been developing this rich inner life and, um, you know, to, to really, um, like plant your garden there and grow in that place. So, you know, chanting is a form of pranayama and it also reaffirms the, the arc of our, um, full realization, which is of course, you know, the grand adventure of going into the afterlife and how, how much cleanup work we've done within ourselves so that we don't encumber the other generations who are going to carry unmetabolized grief or trauma or um, feelings of frustration or the sense of a life unlived. Mm. Amen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what about the next phase, the very elderly and or the injured? Is it appropriate for these groups? I mean, again, it's specific and I'm being over general in my questions, but to attend regular classes, what are your thoughts on the very aged and the injured? I remember... Um, Patabi Joy sharing that one of his um, school um, colleagues came to him in his 90s and wanted to learn yoga. And, you know, he was having a hard time moving and he was like really enjoying it, you know, and just using his body because I, I feel like, um, you know, as we get older, we tend to become really specialized in what we do and we almost kind of form like these ruts in what we do how we do it and how we move so being able to explore new spatial relationships and to move our body like children you know who just move for the sake of movement just because their cells are um popping you know like the the circuitry is just sprouting and opening and so to keep that alive and I feel like, um, you know, a lot of reason why we go to class also is for the community. And I think it's it, it, it can be challenging for a teacher, certainly to work with all different levels, but that's our challenge. And it's important that, you know, the image that keeps coming to heart for me is like, you know, I grew up in the sauna culture, mispronounced as sauna sauna it's a finnish word and i remember um you know i was just talking about this last friday we had some friends over and they were asking me about my experience and i said i remember the first sauna that i took i was like maybe four or five and i just remember it was like on the baltic sea and it was like the first time i was meeting my finnish relatives and um two of my mother's three sisters were there and their kids and my grandmother was there and you would fire up the sauna in the morning and so it gets to be a really nice soft kind of a heat and it's none of these electric saunas it's like really primal it's 
fire and stone and water and steam and you know there's no light in the sauna so there's a sense of being demure and um all of the women went in together so my grandmother my aunties my mother my female cousins and all the men sounded together and i remember sitting in there and being little and looking at all these bodies and seeing myself in all these phases of life and it was really a moment where I was like, that's what I'm going to look at like. And seeing the comfort and the lack of inhibition, I mean, we all came from the same clan and the same tribe. Then fast forward a few years later, and I think I was like 10 or 11, and my sister was four years older than me. You know, so she was like 14 or 15 and she was like in that self-conscious phase of budding and we're late bloomers in our family. And I was a late bloomer. Um, so really I was a little girl, but my sister put on her swimsuit. It was like the Olympic edition. We had matching ones. It was like this, you know, speedo with red, white, and blue and stars and whatever. <laughs> and I did it because my sister did it and her sense of feeling consciousness and we walked into the sauna and, and my grandmother said like no child of mine is wearing a swim a swimsuit in the sauna and she immediately like pulled it off of us and um you know it was like there's no shame here we don't hide ourselves. There's no shame. And then she picked up the scrub brush and oh my God, she scrubbed and scrubbed every part of us. And it was rigorous and methodical and you were armed. It was like an assisted yoga practice and she was scrubbing every part of us. And so I think that, you know, again, like just seeing this um, tendency for you know, even when my mother came to visit from Finland and I had my my yoga shala and she made this comment and she was like, oh, my God, everybody here, you know, and this is the North Shore of Kauai, too, where people live in bathing suits and it's very um, like an athletic community. And she was like, oh, my God, you have to be thin and muscular and beautiful to live here. And everybody who goes to yoga appears to have to be that way. Um, so there's, it's like, are we missing the point? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really wonderful to have, uh, there's also a lot of separation with communities. It's even manifesting in yoga where people, um, they don't have teachers they're proud of not having teachers or what i also see is this trend where there isn't recognition of the teacher and by not recognizing the teacher suddenly your ego and personality i came up with this and i said this and and the fact is is that it weakens them because when we're you created a hashtag i love it <laughs> lineage is leverage and where we it's like, look, this is, you know, it's like if you were giving a, um, you know, presenting a, a thesis or science, it would have to be peer approved, like there's peer approved 
resources. And so it's like, I didn't invent this. Look, this is corroborated. And this is what I'm sharing. Like, this is trustworthy information because it's been tested over time. So, um, you know, this egoism where I'm owning the knowledge and I'm the one and I'm not recognizing this person because really it's like, um, like this grab for power and for, um, for status um, is occurring. And really yoga is about appreciating the full face, the full circle of love. I'm not the first, I'm not the last. Here's somebody who's older. This is what it looks like for that person. And I know for me, a lot of the way that I learned was watching how my teacher taught other people in classes and worked with them individually, even in a general class situation. So by doing that, we're going to start to gain insight because that's we're gonna have we're gonna be in that phase ourselves. How do you work when someone's postpartum? How do you work with somebody who has come out of an injury or who's going through hormonal changes or who's older? How do you set them up in a shoulder stand? versus somebody else? Do you put them in Viparita Karani? Do you use the wall? Do you use the chair? Do you even invert them in a shoulder stand? You could teach it standing against the wall. So there's a lot for somebody who knows what they're doing, who's actually been raised in a tradition. And I'm not talking about like a hundred hour training or 500 hour training, but works over time you're going to see the evolution and it's going to help you to hold space for a larger repertoire that appreciates the timing is everything in your life. I think we just found the name of this podcast. (laughs) Yes, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's important. It really is, you know, um, I I know that everything is an arc and everything is a wave. And because yoga is so practical, it'll kind of have its resurgence. Um, You know, it's going to, it's, it's going to be hot and sexy. And then, you know, then, then somebody will call, you know, find something else that will be the it thing or Okurant. But, um, you know, I, 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 I feel tender about that. I've, I have a tender spot. And part of that is in my astrology. I mean, my nakshatra is Shravana. I came in seated with this capacity to pull from the old strands and weave them into the current moment and to keep that that love transmission alive. And I just, um, so it, it saddens me in this um, careeristic, individualistic power grab where people are really coming from a place of insecurity. And that's where like, you know, when you have that teacher-student relationship, the teacher's gonna raise you up 
they're going to raise you, they're going to cook you, they're going to pull things out of you. And you're standing on that foundation. And that's where it has deep roots, and it can have branches that reach far and wide. And so I think people are really um, doing themselves a disservice when they're just trying to own it all. Or, um, you know, it's like Martine Prechtel says that 13th thank you, which is things that can't be marketed, can't be packaged, can't even be spoken about. It's it's the essence at the root. And that's something that we um, we share with each other. It, it, it it's um, you know, it's called like the Amrita, which is the elixir of immortality. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to die, but that this elixir is something that is that is beyond timing and appreciates all of the cycles and that you will eventually evaporate, you know? But like, there is um, potency in recognizing the source and not that any of us are the source, but we are um, a channel for that source. It reminds me of this uh, phrase, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm self-made and I feel very um, much in the vein of, of no one is self-made. There's no way. It's like we, we all, um, I think you were saying that like we evolve in relationship, we evolve in community. It's like that deepening of love, whether it's your infant or your spouse or your friend or just someone that keeps showing up to yoga the same day of the week you do is that in community, we really evolve each other and we're seen and we have the ability to be seen. You know, and I, I wish I knew more about this, but I was just talking to um, Sherry Cassidy who edited my book and she's, you know, she's definitely um, an intellectual and, you know, leaning on the mystical side. And she was studying through Richard Rohr's living school. I think it what is it's a two year course. And there was some kind of like study. There's a lot of science behind it as well. A metric that if a community exceeds 100 people, it starts to break down. And that when the communities are small is when there's like this larger sense of organism that is able to hold space for each other and we're tapped into each other. When it gets too big, there's a disconnect. Um, but that community also needs to include everyone in the community, not just the white 30, <laughs> you know, 20 to 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 50 year olds um you know privileged people but in fit really, good looking yeah yeah that it includes everybody and you know as much as i have mixed feelings about boga journal i mean yoga journal um you know i do appreciate that a number of years ago they made a shift where it's like okay we're not just going to put white bendy women or white sinewy, you know, muscular men on the cover, we're going to appreciate that, like, there's people of all shapes and sizes. 
and yoga is for everyone. Not every type of yoga is for everyone, as Krishnamacharya said, but yoga is for everyone. And that's where it's fun, right? Because you never get tired because you're actually working with individuals, you know, and that helps you to see yourself too. I really, I, I relish the challenge when people, you know, people with injury or people with just less physical ability um, for whatever reason come into my class and to uh, it, it goes beyond the narrative of like, I'm not enough or I can't do this. And it, it's so cool what happens in the classroom when all of these mix of people come together and are doing the same thing, but not the same form. <laughs> yeah, you're the real deal. <laughs> you are. So Everyone, you need to go to Shanae's classes. <laughs> Arizona and the high desert. It's beautiful. <laughs> you won't regret it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have great teachers. So, <laughs> so speaking of the, the community, um, one of the words that comes to mind is the commons. And often we go to a yoga class, um, and I remember in your studio in at Yoga Hanalei, you had a tea and people could stay and have tea. And it was so sweet. And many people did. And many people just got up and left. And that was fine. And there's room for that. And um, I often uh, hear from my students, you know, like, oh, you want to go get a coffee or, oh, it's so nice to see you again. And I feel like um, there is there is a lack of just space. And I don't know if you have thoughts on how to continue the commons, how to create them. Um, is it, is it even uh, necessary? I don't know. I agree. I mean, I felt, yeah, you know, and it was actually quite a journey of like dialing in the perfect samovar. And, you know, I made trips to Oahu and finally found like the big, I wanted stainless steel that was going to cook water and I could, you know, make alchemy with the herbs and the tea that I shared. And it's also, um, you know, for me, it was the feeling that this just wasn't just like, it wasn't transactional, transactional. Um, it was transactional. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, you know, taking time to get to know each other. And this is where also, you know, this is like, what is the yoga anyway? You know, is it, is it about relationship? Is it just about exercise? Is it about um, creating community, having deeper conversations, um, expanded capacity for intimacy and sharing? And, you know, that's something that I feel like, you know, we've become so isolated and we know that, you know, depression is, is really on the steady incline and rather than just fixing it with filling yourself with, with empty things or distracting yourself or, you know, just even the way that we don't really self-regulate anymore. If it gets cold, we turn on the heat. If it gets hot we turn on the air conditioning you know if it's dark outside we turn on a light it's like feeling yourself as part of a bigger rhythm and in um 
you know, in the, the tradition of yoga, there was always room for conversation. And that's, that's a really important time. And it's like getting to know each other. And really, it's, it's an act of care of, of building those relationships. And I think for me, particularly, it was really important because I'm first generation American, and I don't have family in this country. Um, so that sense of creating what we call Hanai, like in the islands and the Polynesian um, tradition, they're, 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 cause this isn't America, you know, um, you know, even though it's become very much um, Americanized, there is that tradition of, of Ohana and of Hanai. Hanai is where you adopt other people into your family. And Ohana is that sense of family. That's a bigger community where we take care of each other and we're in tune with each other and we know about each other. And, you know, maybe because it's an island and there is that sense of smaller community, we can keep our fingers on the, the heartbeat of another. And having time for these conversations, you know, that sense of sangata, um, that's something that I've really tried to foster because there just isn't space for it in an asana class. And certainly we can thread in sutras, but like in the um, original tradition of yoga, there was space for the student to ask the mentor. And it's believed and it's, it's proven and I've seen it in myself, you know, it's like you let the student direct to a certain degree their education because they're going to ask the question for what they're ready for next. And it's basically something they're already, like it said that we don't ask a question for anything that we don't already know the answer to. So then it becomes an affirmation and it also um, allows there to be a larger contextualizing and it's an opportunity for um, the seasoned wisdom, the sharing, um, you know, and a lot of times that season wisdom might be like, yeah, you're going to be fat for a couple of years. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's going to suck. You're, you're going to feel like, Ugh, you know, um, and just validating that for you. And this too will pass, or you don't need to worry about that, or that's something you need to look at. So it's really, it's perhaps why yoga has become kind of stale in some ways because then it just becomes um a product something that we're dishing out and there really isn't nourishment it's not like a a potlatch you know where where people are feeding each other and there's deeper conversations and i know that that's what really nourishes me because there's everybody comes with so much and i want to i want to understand and i want to i want to feel into their hearts um you know even though maybe they sought me out some part of me was seeking them out as as well 
And as I've said so many times, you know, and I, I mean it sincerely, like, isn't it amazing that we found each other? That we've got each other's backs, you know? So that's where, you know, really the, the mentorship has come on. And even that's a struggle, right? In some ways, because I just have an hour to unpack the sutra and then there's time afterwards, but really like we could spend a whole day together, but timing is everything and not everybody can do that because we're all like struggling in this economy, you know, to, to make it work. Um, so it's okay though, because, you know, as Patanjali says, you're always going to leave something out and it's okay to have that fire in your belly that needs, that is hungry and to keep feeding it. Um, you know, that it's not going to all happen right now. And this is an ongoing process. Yeah. So having time for those conversations is really wonderful. And I see that you're doing some sutras with your students, which is great. It's really great. And is a lot of it conversation too? Yeah, actually, I just, um, I taught a, I taught a, an immersion over the weekend. Um, it was just a, you know, three day thing. Um, but I did something brand new. I did an hour and a half of, um, the first hour was restorative, just kind of just basic, basic shapes. Cause it was after kind of a lunch break and I downloaded, um, all of my notes from a few of the sutra. And then at the end, I left about half an hour for a formal recapitulation process and sharing, and they loved it. <laughs> they loved it. And in the past, you know, it was a more like formal, like you do, like, you know, we can take notes and, you know, kind of that kind of thing. But just to have that process of sharing after a, a like a finding that baseline after they were physically fed, <laughs> fed themselves laid down in restoration and then the sharing. And it was profound. It was, people were so thankful for the opportunity to share and to listen. Yeah, that's great because it is, you know, it's like, it's all about feedback, right? And, um, you know, that's where it's like, when you go to a class at the end of class where is that person who was guiding you through the class are they glued to their phone do they have a split in their personality where they shut down where they're highly guarded or highly inhibited and you know, we're all working with that stuff, but are they making the efforts to just be a true human being, Svarupa, and to be available? And um, this is really what we sign up for when we take that role of holding um, space for sacred community is to be generous with our time with others and generous. And that's, you know, something that I, 
you know, make the efforts to offer people who work with me, I'm like, look, this, you know, if you do a training with me, like, here's my number, give me a call. If you have questions, like, I'm here for you. This doesn't just like, it's not like you press pay, and then it ends at this date. Like, let's keep being in conversation. And that's part of my duty and my privilege is to support the um, the flourishing and the adaptability within these communities that are being seeded from what was seeded in me. And that's really, um, that's like the gratifying part, you know? The privilege and the duty. I love that. Yeah, and that we're growing each other. It's not like, oh, I already, you know, I already learned everything I'm going to learn from that teacher. It's like, have you, you know, um, you know, for me, I, I, I felt so blessed because I had those relationships with my teachers where I could just call them up and just see how they were doing. And then sometimes, you know, the conversation, you know, as we, we were opening our hearts and opening our minds to each other there there was um just affirmation and stimulation and encouragement that occurred there um you know and there was nuance that i hadn't seen before and of course you know in their process they had like you know new pathways open that lit things up or stirred things within me um yeah Let's keep the conversation going. Keep yeah. it alive. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want to share in our wrap up? Um, you know, what do I want to share? Like our ideas. And so many of our ideas of, of what yoga is or what self is or what enlightenment is, they are simply that, they're notions. And, um, you know, the more that we isolate, the more we're going to alienate ourselves from the bigger diaspora. And certainly, you know, yoga is this process of involution. It's kind of like, all right, well, that's what the teacher said. How does it feel for me? But also it's like, um, you know, this is where we're going to stretch each other and grow with each other. And we're, you know, we're, we need something to lean into and to leaning into something bigger is also making ourselves more available and um you know we don't need to there there really is no hierarchy in yoga there's mutual respect and that's where i i feel really gratified because i can just see the students who came to me and who trusted in me and i raised them you know in in what's been raising me where they have like they're on fire they're inspired they have this you know this this youth and um sparkle that is so wonderful to see 
and we're like they're they're carrying it forward and it's a wonderful thing and it's not that i know any more or anything like that i've just been cooking in it in a little bit longer and this is the way that we we support each other and we develop a field of resonance that really um transcends ideas of hierarchy and it's really about continuity and we can see that you know it's like all through like the yoga sutras they are the key insights for how to um you know bring back the sacred into our lives it's not that we're becoming more holy or sacred it's just that we're in love we're we're getting beyond these ideas of something being right or wrong or better or worse and we're seeing the the continuity in it and so it's like describe you know dharana highest ideation dhyana which is where we're in a place of confluence and then samadhi where there's like full transmission and exchange this is that sense of like the and that our our breath is even that there's there's like a seamlessness and even though we may see like the 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 ruts in the road or where we feel out of sorts it's like we can hold that for each other and that's what community is so the sangata the community has always been a huge part of yoga and how can you have community unless there is true relationship and connection and conversation? Otherwise, it becomes proselytizing in which somebody is held um, on some kind of a dais. And that's where we're kind of missing the point. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's just such a, a real honor and a joy um, to have these conversations with you. Thank you. I really feel that way too. Thanks, Shanae. I mean, you are, um, it looks like it's about me, but it's not about me because <laughs> without you, none of this would be happening. And uh, you're just so good at uh, going right to the heart. Thank you. Namaskara. Namaskara. Namastubyam. <laughs> thank you for listening i hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself if you enjoyed this episode please tell a friend for more information about bhavani maki and her online and in-person teachings including the yoga sutra wisdom school online patanjali yoga sutra mentorship and her continuing classes and trainings please visit www.bhavanimaki.com that's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique true spiritual awakening. Jaladharasanibasundaragatram jalaruhamitra jashatrunetra
गात्रम जलधर सुनिभ सुंदर गात्रम जलरोह मित्र दशात्रु नेत्रम कलुषा 